did you ever witness any of the physical yeah 100% I saw everything I've come home everything's outside and I've just seen my mum crying and it was just like what what are we gonna do like I was rich at a point how did you know you were rich like in hindsight Right. Yeah, like, like I didn't know I was rich when I was younger. Uh-huh. Only when we became broke, that's when I knew. Oh, right, we was actually rich. And in that house, there was no beds or nothing. Like all of us had to like sleep on the floor. Even to this day, like when I see my mum cry, I'm kind of immune to it. We wanted to actually have a meaning to go up, so we called it Great Understanding and Power mm. because we wanted it to to inspire and entertain young people. We're the youngest and the first black owned creative agency to do so. People perceived us in like a whole different way when the Kurt Gag announcement came out. They worked with the youngest team they've ever worked with, the most diverse team they've ever worked with. Like, so it was a moment for not just us, but a moment for culture. We're launching the Guap Gala, our annual creative award show that's celebrating creative excellence, highlighting all those individuals that probably wouldn't be recognized at a traditional award show. It's like what you would get when you put the Met Gala with the MOBOs. It's going to be like the leading creative award show. So I'm Ibrahim Kamara, and this is how I became CEO and co-founder of Guap. With his early life showing him the benefits of family business, he turned his bedroom into a studio, recording rappers' tracks start to the finish. Early successes in music gave him the skills of how to show up honing his skills of legal hustles at school, selling LucasAids and donuts. Moving on to uni, studying accountancy and finance. He formed a brand with his peers that grew through determination and not chance. Creating a success out of media from first what was seen as a dream. We have Ibrahim Kamara, co-founder of Guap, the world's first video magazine. Welcome. Thank you. I really like that intro. Um, pleasure to be here, guys. Nice, nice to have you. That is a, a story of your life in a few bars. In a few bars. Now we're going to extend that to uh, a bit more and discover mm-hmm. how did you become co-founder CEO of Guap mm-hmm. and that story. Guap is the world's first video magazine. Now seven-figure company. You got a team about seventeen of you. Got mm-hmm. you guys now. You've worked with Nike, Adidas, Reebok, Converse, Apple, some of the biggest, most successful brands in the world. Uh, you're the main agency. Your agency that you set up as well is the main agency for Kurt Geiger. Mm-hmm. You're named Digital Pioneer by the London Mayor. You start this company from scratch, no seed money, you and your business partner mm-hmm. getting going. You are a successful entrepreneur a great businessman and a great inspiration to many and just getting started really 100 percent right 100 so it'd be great to unpack what is what is coming in the future yeah yeah um you were also named in the top 100 most influential bame leaders in the uk tech sector published by the financial times Mm -hmm. so that's let's unpack that how did you become how do you achieve all these things and how did you become this great co-founder inspiration to do that Let's go back to the start. Guy's Hospital is where (laughs) Ibrahim entered this world. Five brothers and sisters. Well, my mum's got five. I've got five brothers and sisters on my mum's side, but my dad's actually got 10 kids. Okay, (laughs) lots of siblings. Yeah, lots of siblings. Big family. family. 
So you you're the first to be born in England yes. on your mum's side. So my dad and mum. Well, my dad came to England in like 1989 or 90, and my mum came to England in 92, and they had me in 93. So yeah, I was their first child that they had in England. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And your mum and dad are of Sierra Leone heritage. Mm-hmm. What would you say the the positive influences of the of the Sierra Leone culture that were embedded into you maybe mm-hmm. growing up? The Sierra Leone community is like very close-knit like everyone knows each other and there's like there's like a thing with Leoneans, especially in south where everyone would be like oh yeah all Leoneans are related oh like that's your cousin just because we literally all grew up together went to the same parties and yeah it was just like very family oriented um so yeah that's one thing i really like from the culture and the food is banging Nice. <laughs> what's what's some some dishes you can recommend? Cassava leaves, potato leaves. Our stew's good. Our jollof's the best. No, it's with Sierra food. Yeah, it's really good. But because we're, there's not many of us, not everyone's tasted it. Mm. But those who have tasted it, like rate it. So okay, we'll we'll play no comment in that for <laughs> any Nigerian <laughs> heritage watching nah, uh, about jollof any, rice. They, but... To be honest, they know. Like the ones who the ones who have <laughs> had it, they know, but they can't right. say it out loud, then it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Look yeah. forward to trying. Can you shout out any places people can get yeah. some good? Yeah, there's Sierra Leone. In- um, obviously I'm from South London. Um, there's a place called Mingles. That's Mingles. in Peckham. Shout out Mingles yeah. in Peckham. There's a place called Isatu's Kitchen. Isatu's Kitchen again in Peckham. A lot of these. There's a lack of huge Sierra Leone community in Southwark and Peckham, like Peckham predominantly so a lot of the stuff i know is from back interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah. well that's part big part of your story yeah, yeah. which we'll get into so tell us you you went to three different primary schools mm. is that right and yeah. how many secondary schools and what do you remember the first time moving schools and how did you feel yeah so i was born in Woolworth road east street market but then i moved to old Kent road but I went to a primary school in Old Kent Road called Even Low. But then I remember, sorry, I remember one day waking up and then I just went to a new school. Like my dad didn't even tell me. So I didn't even say bad to like my old friends or nothing. Like wow. I literally just got up and left. So what I, are you thinking? Is that how old are you at this point? Six? Yeah, seven. like five, six. I was so confused. Like, honestly, like I woke up and I was in a new school. But then I remember I wasn't even at that school for bare long. I'm sure I was there for a couple of weeks. And then I just remember being in Sydney. <laughs> like it, it was- it, So you'd moved house? Yes, yeah, so I, I even moved house. Do you, do you remember having to make friends at any of these schools and what that was like? No, you know what it is? I feel like I'm one of those people, yeah, where there's like, if something traumatic's happened in my life, I kind of forget. Like I think that's my coping mechanism. Yeah, Cause they never used to like say stuff to us. It just happened. Like my my dad was like very, like he had like a military style of like raising children. So he didn't really like speak to me. I only started speaking to my dad properly as an adult, but like he didn't really speak to me or speak to us or like explain stuff to us. They just done stuff. Do you think that that process shaped your character in some ways? Yeah. It affects who you are today? A hundred percent. In what I, way? I would say I'm very straight to the point and very direct a lot of people 
sometimes are intimidated by my stance because I am so like direct and that. I'm not trying to be intimidating, but my presence and like because I am so straight to the point can sometimes intimidate people. And I think that probably does come from my dad's like military style of like raising kids but then i i have the empathy that my dad didn't have <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. that's the only difference so like i'm I, i'm aware that i might come across like that so i might sometimes try to ease it off where my dad didn't care like it was just like that's how i am mm. that's yeah yeah and from a young age so we talk about peckham yeah yeah in the community there you're from a young age your your parents were business entrepreneurs yeah yeah very yeah. successful they had you said three shops yeah all of that and that's the thing when they were successful again we didn't know like i was rich at a point like my, like how how did you know you were rich not in hindsight right. <laughs> yeah like, like i didn't know i was rich when i was younger uh-huh. but my family were rich they had like three shops my dad and mum had matching uh, range rovers they like nice we what had, color like, i don't even wait what color? silver they both silver were silver rangers. they had um we moved to a house in Stidham that was like a five-bedroom house, but then they extended it in the back. So we had a conservatory. Then they extended it on top, and it had like an extra level of like rooms and stuff. But again, I was just living. I didn't know. So you had a bedroom to yourself. Yeah, all, all like the kids it, had a bedroom. Yeah, like we had a bedroom. My dad and mum used to run a money transfer business, um, sending money from England to people at in Sierra Leone because it, like I said there was a big community of Sierra Leoneans in Peckham but there wasn't like Western Union and that stuff mm. around them time so like they were like one of the biggest I see. Um, money exchange things so was, there would be times in my house where my dad for some reason I don't know why he used to do this but he used to keep money in you know toolboxes <laughs> so like in my house there would be like toolboxes <laughs> with just bare cash <laughs> like like literally like so much cash um sometimes i'd want to take something <laughs> like but it's like because it literally was like you would open it up and you just see bare notes and he would just keep it like that what did you think when you saw it i just thought yeah this is a lot of money but i didn't i never connected the dots of oh yeah like mm. we that's our money maybe every house has tall boxes yeah, yeah 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 like me kid, i don't, don't know i didn't know normal, like it was so. a thingy mm. but then literally only only when we became broke, that's when I knew, oh, right, we was actually rich. Because we used to go on holidays, all of that stuff. And then, yeah, it stopped. <laughs> so what, what lessons did you learn from seeing your parents' entrepreneurialism from that age? Could be in hindsight, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the f- main things I learned was perseverance. Um, like, again, I don't know why this happened, but two of my dad's shops burnt down like like if you type it i think you'll even see on google like they burnt down and he went like dead like everything went dead and he brought it back to life kind of thing wow so so that was like a time where loads of people in the community were like talking about him and talking about my mom saying that yeah oh this like they're never gonna like make it come back Mm. but yeah they managed to bring it back so were you, would you hear those conversations? Um, I would hear them talk. I would hear people gossiping to them about what people are saying. Right. Kind of thing, yeah. Um, another thing I learned is branding from them. 
because my dad's name is Bakar and my mum's name's Khadija and they the brand of like the shop was called Bacardi's so they put their two names together nice and then they started a drinks company or that they put their two names together Bacardi, Bacardi's and then basically everywhere they would go they'd be known as Bacardi's so even to this day if I go to someone that's Cyrillonian um, and I say oh yeah my dad was Bacardi's they would know who I'm talking about nice. do you know what I'm saying so yeah. they managed to build a reputable brand from nothing but then using their own names to like make something mm. else uh, and then probably just like family in regards to like doing business with family um, my dad didn't really like trust loads of people and even like everything was very like family and close-knit and that's kind of the way we run our business and like the way we entered the industry so like things were like me and Shanice Mears are like I'll classify that as my sister Jade is my business partner that's my brother like there's we didn't come into the industry looking for friendships or like looking to be next to who's popular and stuff we came through with our friends and family and like just made our way in so I say those are like three things that I've probably taken from them in hindsight nice yeah, yeah. powerful so things are things are rolling sweet nice you got your own bedroom conservatory <laughs> yeah, 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 everything's yeah. good they come back and make it back from the fire and then things take a turn yeah 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 and what about 10 11 your parents split up mm-hmm. and you arrive home one day and all your st- stuff is outside the house the house is barred up mm-hmm what are you thinking when you see that? I think a lot of the a lot of these times I was just confused to like like why this was happening. Um, I think it's probably important to like even speak about even how I got there because it's, it's like, like I said, the business was doing well, but my dad owned all the accounts and stuff, so my mum didn't have access to any of the money without my dad, and. Yeah, their relationship was toxic anyway. So she was probably scared to ask for anything and that. And yeah, that last time where I came home and all our stuff was out, it was like it was like a week after my dad had left the house because he had... Basically, all my life, my dad and, my dad and mom used to like fight. So not even fight. My dad used to beat up my mom, yeah. And, but then he beat up my sister. And then police got involved. So then he wasn't allowed near us. So then he left the house. But then weeks later, yeah, I've come home. Everything's outside. And I've just seen my mom crying kind of thing. And it was just like, what What are we going to do? I even think about it. it, it I'm, I'm get, probably getting the same feeling. Thinking, I just I just didn't really understand like why this has happened and how, how we was going to get out of this. Because my mom has six kids. So it was just like, and I was the first one, I was the first one back home from school that day. Like I said, with the trauma stuff, I don't even remember how I got from that part to the new house that we got. We got a house in Bellingham. I think it was an emergency house. And in that house, there was no beds or nothing. So that night, and probably for a couple nights, me and my brothers, 
like all of us had to like sleep on the floor with like bed sheets and that while like my mum like had to like get back on her feet and stuff what yeah. do you um and i think it's completely normal for yeah, yeah. T- what 10 11 year old to arrive home and to be confused yeah yeah, yeah. so young at that yeah, point yeah, yeah to make sense of it is not 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 realistic um did you ever witness uh any of the physical yeah 100 yeah, percent. that was happening? like for me even to this day like it's 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 it's, it's a thing even to this day like when i see my mum cry I'm kind of immune to it, which is weird because cause I was the first one that um, I was the first one that was born here. Like I saw everything. So. It's okay. Sorry. Wanna take a minute? No, no, I'm good. You got any tissue? No, I'm good still. Okay. Sorry, I, I don't release. It's all right, it's just hopefully a therapeutic healing process, all, all positive. And I think yeah. for people to hear maybe going through something similar, just to hear how you've dealt with this and it hasn't stopped you from going on and succeeding yeah. great things. Yeah, I was the only one who saw all of it. So I didn't really, yeah, like me and my sister, I have a little sister who's like two years younger than me. Literally us two saw everything. And like there was times where like my mum would get like kicked out the house with me and my sister. And like we'd have to like walk in like the cold. Like it sounds like a mad sad story, but that's literally what happened. Do you get me? So it was just like, yeah. I'm at the point where like now I see my mum cry and because I've seen her cry for so long yeah sometimes like I just I'm in that state of confusion or like I freeze and just like I don't know what to say or do kind of thing do you, do you really, think that's your your like protective mechanism your yeah, way yeah, of dealing 100, with it 100% like with my mum and dad's situation like I've I've seen it all so it was just again like I'm saying I was just very very confused very aware of what's happening and i thought it was all right and even that's the stuff that that kind of stuff influenced me in the wrong way because like there was times like i was this angry person that would like like just lash out and all that kind of stuff and it definitely came from that stuff and yeah but again in hindsight you don't want to be like that or you don't want to see your mom like that and all that kind of stuff and i think that's that's the kind of things that fueled what i do now in regards to like there was no other option like i had to become like the man of my house that very early so again part of my dad's decision is again part of why i'm i'm who i am because yeah i had to become a man when when that happened and my dad left and my mum kind of looked not looked at me but i felt like i had to like become this man to help my mum so like with my little brother i helped raise him like a hundred percent like like he was my own son and stuff 
was that do you, do you remember a moment was there a point where you're like i'm gonna have to step up here um or it just happened no nah, to be honest it just like if you have goals and ambitions within your personal life career or business and would like to overcome the challenges that you face inspire people and get to your goals faster then a coach might be the right solution for you go to weunify.co.uk forward slash coach now back to the show well as long as i know if i make money it's not just my money even for me getting student loan i made sure that i was given some money back home to help out well let's say my little brother's birthday parties and stuff or let's say getting kickers for my brother like i would do what i can to make sure i'm contributing to help that to this day i still feel like i have to do that looking back if you could speak to yourself then what would you say to yourself about how to deal with that situation i'll just say carry on working man <laughs> i say, say carry on working like, it's not always gonna yeah it's not always gonna be like this i would say so you're going you're going through this at home you know you've gone you've had quite a big shake up you're still at school of course yeah 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 how how did how did that affect your kind of school life around those times as well some of my best friends will, will say to you that i used to have like mad anger problems in the school like and i would just get in bare fights and stuff and i don't know how much it links to that but i feel like there was definitely some sort of link there that's the thing at school i was good like academically like I was in top sets for everything and all that stuff, but I would just get in trouble and stuff. So there Did was anybody that. know what you were going through? Is anybody helping you with that? My head of house, Mr. Payton, he actually had to, I told him what happened because like, I think in school it, it, it got a little bit too much. So I told him and he had to actually help me write a letter for the council so that they could give us a better home because the home that we were given wasn't like in the best condition. What so, was it like? Like I said, there was <laughs> there was no beds and stuff. And I, I don't think there was floorboards and stuff. Like it, it proper was like just a house to- Just some walls. To just to put some, yeah, like walls. They, they were, it was not a home. It was literally- How long just, were you there? Probably like seven months. Wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. Like seven months. Yeah, seven months that's... sleeping on the floor with no, any no, no, beds? No. So at some point we got like mattresses right. and then we got like, it, it was that house was one of them houses where we had to actually like build up bit so like bit, bit by bit so we got a mattress everyone was sleeping on mattress then we got the base and then yeah kind of thing and but it was a i remember there was like broken there was like broken windows and it, it wouldn't get like fixed and stuff so we had to like put like not paper but like some sort of material over the window kind of mm -hmm. thing like it was proper it was a proper not a dump because it was somewhere to lay your head but it wasn't the nicest so what was the point where you said, and do you remember the day where you said, I need to tell someone at school about this? I think I, was, I got in trouble or something. And then they asked me what's going on. And, uh, and I think I just told them when I got in trouble. But then after that, they like helped me. Like There was like an in-house counsellor in, in the school. So I used to go speak to um, her. And then, yeah, Mr. Payton really helped as well. And then... You get into entrepreneurial mode. Yeah, yeah, you see yeah. the lessons from your your parents. You know, see how they you know made money, and you're feeling like I've got to take responsibility yeah, for yeah. my family now. How does your what what do you do to make money? I used to get lunch money from my mum 
it was two pound a day mm-hmm. just to get lunch money for my mom two pound a day um and i used to like not eat and save it save the money because yeah i didn't want to do anything illegal i've been asked to like do illegal stuff so like selling weed and all that stuff and i just i don't know something in me just didn't want to do it what do you think that was that that was in you that said no i don't know i just i think i i I know i think i knew my not know myself to the way i know myself now but i think i knew that wasn't for me Mm. like i like i wasn't down for the risk of that one um (laughs) yeah you think there was an an area of responsibility you had as well for your for your siblings yeah probably like i like i felt like that's yeah that's just not the path i saw myself going down for my mom to like be like oh yeah my son's gone jail for that no i I just yeah i just didn't envision that life for me and how did you how did you deal with that situation when you were asked how did you get out of it some guy on the bus he said oh what do you want to make money what did you say i was like I think I, t- I think I even said nah. I think because I knew where he was going. I think I said nah, but then he was like, he was like very persistent about it. And then someone else asked me to do it in school as well. I think yeah, and every time it's it's, it's been put to me, I've just said no. And what was the reaction on the bus when he, when you said no? Nothing. He was older. I didn't know him. Mm. He was like just it was literally a, a random guy from the ends. Okay. Because I in school I had seen like people in older years selling selling like Lucas Aids and that stuff but there wasn't anyone selling it in my year mm. <laughs> so I just took that position gap in the market yeah gap in the market <laughs> literally um I know there was people selling there were a few people selling donuts so the donuts was like the secondary one but the mm. Lucas Aid no one was selling Lucas Aids in my year so what are you thinking you're like okay there's yeah. no Lucas Aids what yeah. do I do next yeah just my mom used to go to Iceland and buy Lucas Aids I think she'd done it once and then I just took some and froze them and like went and sold them because she used to buy them for six six for three pounds from iceland and then i'd freeze them and sell them for one pound each it's double your money yeah literally double your money so yeah just cold, that. Right? yeah it was yeah. nice and cold so my my book bag was like full of lucasate like that became my lunch money so like I'd, i didn't need to like ask my mum for lunch money anymore does she know you were doing all this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does she think? Yeah, she Same. was helping me. Yeah, she was helping me. Like she was buying me the Lucasades. Yeah, yeah, she was helping me. Nice. I used to get the donuts from Sainsbury's before I went to school in the morning. Um, but she would buy the Lucasades for me because I wasn't asking them. What would she say? Like, would she give you business advice or mark you know, mark the stock or count <laughs> nah, the profit and loss or I what's think, going on? Did she want some of my money? Nah, it's, she just she, she just she just got what I said. Yeah, she just supported it. Nice. Um, Brilliant. I never told her the times like getting in trouble in school because we wasn't actually allowed to sell in school. So you had to like do it on the slide. But, <laughs> you didn't tell her that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't tell her that part. Still, I'm sure if I told her that part, she must have. She might have told me to stop. But yeah, it worked out well. And yeah. so, how much were we making on a daily basis or weekly? Good question. Probably like fifty pounds, fifty, sixty pound a week. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it was, it was, it was good money for like a, like fourteen, fifteen year old. Well, was not not in this day and age where fourteen, fifteen years I'm making meals, but <laughs> back in the day, back that was like day. that was good still. So from here, how did music come into your life? Mm-mm. You told us you were an MC. Yeah. So how did that begin? So I have a cousin who was an MC called Matt Star, yeah, and he, 
he moved from south to east london but i only met him when i was like around those ages 11 12 um and then yeah he told me he makes music and i remember going to his house in the east and he had like a little studio set up and we made a um he said i should jump on his songs i should start rapping and i literally wrote some bars that day and we made a song called lockdown and because he he wasn't even crazy known but he was kind of known when we put out the song like my whole area like loads of people listened to the song and then yeah people started knowing me for mcing and that that that's literally how i started making music properly from what yeah 11 12 till about 20 mm-hmm. yeah yeah and this this leads leads into another side hustle you had yeah. of of uh selling selling studio time yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, bedroom, studio right? time it sounds like i just had bare adventures <laughs> um for a studio literally i told my mum to buy me a studio because we used to have to go to bare different studios to record and you'd have to pay for that time and like it got kind of expensive so i asked her to get me like a home setup because one of my friends he was in Peckham. He had his own like studio setup, so I knew you could do it from mm-hmm. home. So I asked my mom to buy me a studio. I think it was around three bills. And that friend that I three hundred pound, that friend that was in Peckham, he was selling a mic. So I asked my mom if she could buy me that mic. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I was recording myself at home because people knew me for like this um, spitting and emceeing. They knew I could like record and stuff. So then people started reaching out saying, oh yeah, could I record that yours kind of thing? Yeah, I'd kind of like pick and choose who I'd allow, because it was in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. I'd pick and choose who I'd allow in my house, but. What would you charge? 20 pound an hour. 20 pound an hour. Yeah, so it was, it, was, it was nice. So monthly, I'd probably say, maybe like 100, 120, 150. I didn't have bare sessions. And you're selling the suites at the same, yeah, same yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm making a little profit. But then again, in again in hindsight, I didn't even know I was making. I was just making money to get by that week, making the money, and then yeah, saving it. Because mm. I, I, that's one thing I've always done since I was young, saving. But I don't even know why. I just used to save. But maybe maybe it is because I didn't want to ever not have money. Come saying, so I always used to. I always <coughs> now when my friends like spend on like dumb stuff. I I would always say that like I've I've always been like quite tight with money. Well, I guess if you've lived that experience where money was in toolboxes and cash around yeah, the yeah. house, you got a bedroom to sell, house is getting extended every few months, and then you're in this like what sounds like a den almost, yeah, no yeah, beds, yeah. nothing. It's gonna teach you that well, it's probably a good idea to have yeah some yeah money just for chilling. a rainy day. And anything else about that emceeing time? What like what was it like? Were you going different places? Yes, and- yes. Emceeing and music helped me build my network. And it took me outside of South London. I think South London's a bubble. But when I started spitting, because you would travel to like different areas to like do grime sets or like meet other MCs, it kind of opened your mind to like what's out there. Um and like loads of the people that I connected with at around them ages, we've worked with Guap and stuff. So like that was my early stages of yeah networking and anybody that people might know now that you were 
working with at that time. Yeah, people like Kenny Allstar, Novelist, Young Ads from DBE. And you said Elf Kid was your, your younger? Yeah, yeah, Elf Kid, Elf Kid, um, on my ends. If you haven't heard the track, Golden, Golden Boy, Boy. Yeah, is yeah. sick. Listen to it. <laughs> Enjoy Enjoy it. it. Top three selected. <laughs> Love it. Elf Kid. Lewisham um, High Street's Golden Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Even like through my cousin, people like Getz, um, Merckston. There's loads of people I met with music that, yeah, just. So I guess you were inherently learning like what networking is without yeah. necessarily knowing without it. Without knowing. Just building friendships yeah, around a shared thing. Definitely. Yeah, around around music and the passion for music, and this is the this is like the the beginning of of grime, right? You're in in the middle of it. Well, I would say because I'm not even that old, not beginning. So like beginning of grime is probably like Wiley and them man's age. I think the next wave was like my cousin with like mm. Chipmunks and Maxters, and so the generation after the beginning, I guess okay. I would say. Yeah. I mean, like Maxter was in like Lord of the Mics three. Yeah, 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 and that was when Grime had got quite mature to yeah. a point, and then it started to look a little bit further out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. London. So the era before Stormzy, mm -hmm. but after Skepta. <laughs> that that that. So okay. like, it's like the era of like Griminal and those kind of MCs, criminal. those people that should have been big, way bigger, mm. but lost it for then Skepta's generation. I mean Stormzy generation like one mm -hmm. yeah ash tell us for those who don't know what's what's your relationship with grime and how are you involved a grime mc as well mm -hmm. from like what, 2004 or five lucky enough that some artists in our area had had connections with artists and, and got us to support like skepta oh, sick. gets and devlin jammer and those kind of artists so, around that time. I was probably around like 2017, 16. Mm. So I was about 16, 17 at the time. This is in Northampton? Yeah, this is up in Northampton. Oh, Northampton. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but there's there's something about that 140 BPM. It just gets your heart pumping. It gets your heart, yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%. Oh, well, I used to love Graham. I don't love him anymore. Why not? You know, it's, I just feel like, the, the, you know the era I just said of like the criminals, the masters and stuff? everyone actually had individual styles this is like this it, is like it was like cool. yeah everyone like you would hear a radio set and you'd be able to hear different mcs like you'd actually know this person's got this flow this person's got this flow this person's got this flow no i don't really i don't really think there is that right now there's like bare younger versions of everyone mm. and no one's come with like something like crazy yeah yeah I, I resonate with that a lot yeah, yeah but that 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 aspect of each MC having their own style, their own flow, their own way of yeah. delivery, it seems to have changed now. And the beats are different as well. Yeah, yeah. Beats are more trappy now, whereas yeah. back then they're a bit more like, eclectic, yeah. a bit more dancey. You might get some heavy samples in there. You might get stuff like Predators kind of beats. Yeah, and that rapid rapid used to make yeah rapid sick beats. Man. Rapid, rapid. Sick. yeah yeah kids these days i'm just i'm saying it like i'm bare old i'm definitely old. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, would, they would never understand <laughs> so then you uh you go through entrepreneurial phase you're making money you get through school and it's time for college you go to sfx mm -hmm. sixth form college and you meet someone who's going to be quite important part of your life do you become friends at this point do you know each other what's the situation and who is this person yeah so you're talking about my business partner jede um and yeah, the co-founder co of, of Guap. I met him there and that was the first time I knew of him, but he had known of me because of like spitting and stuff. 
but then we were in the same economics class so we were cool and because of my friend that used to spit in from peckham loads of people knew him so i met a loads of mutual people through him and he was one of those people what did you think of him at that time do you remember you know what someone asked me this the other day i think one of my first thoughts of jide like jide is always known how to dress so like jide is like very stylish and like, so even like from college he was like very like clean with the way he dresses so that was probably one of my first thoughts and stuff but we didn't really speak much in college but we went to the same university and basically everyone that went to the same university everyone from south london basically stuck to get stuck together mm. because mm. we all went to kent and kent is very different to south london so we all kind of <laughs> stuck together and became closer in kent what would you say that experience living in living somewhere like that outside of london outside of what you're kind of used to kind of shaped within you for your next stages of of life it allowed you to have quiet time and allowed you to like really go into yourself i think with like london is so busy and like you're always doing something where there you're not really always doing something mm. so it actually allowed you to time to think i think it, it shapes you because yeah you you it was a time where i started asking myself certain questions and really mapping out who i wanted to be mm. and the type of man that i wanted to become mm. so yeah that that time away definitely helped shape who i am today because even my business partner had the same type of experience in kent of like it allowed him to find himself and yeah really go deep into who he was because there wasn't much noise mm. so at in third year of uni barton mill investment group approaches you yes and uh <laughs> it looks to invite you yeah 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 to, to the investment group what a big opportunity yeah. can you tell us in detail uh, that's so funny for those of you who don't know bmig was actually jenny's investment group so um, and where Jide, did the name come from? Barton Mill. Um, Barton Mill was the road that Jide lived on with his housemates. <laughs> and he basically made an investment group where it was like a group of young people basically coming together to invest in business ideas together. What a great idea. Yeah. What are you, this is 23 years old. Yeah. No, what, 20? Oh, 19, not even that. 1920. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, literally. Brilliant. Um, And yeah, he pitched to me. Where? He actually... We had a meeting in a pub in Syracuse. I remember he was sitting in a vest <laughs> in the pub and he had a laptop out on the table. And then, yeah, he like pitched to me. He had this whole presentation about the investment group and he pitched to me the idea. And I was like, yeah, like let's do it. So I joined the group. I was the last person to join the group. And the first venture we done together was an event called Afari, which was basically fire festival, but a smaller version of fire festival i mean yeah fantastic for that age for a group of people to come together and go let's let's work on stuff yeah, together yeah, let's yeah. invest in things together great um what a great mindset to have at that age and you go for your first event walk us through how that event goes so like i said with our party everything that could have gone wrong actually went wrong what does our party mean what was it so, about african party so like in like African culture, yeah, you're saying, oh yeah, you got to have a whole party. It's like a whole party, half party. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to make like a traditional African party for university students. That was like the idea. Where was it going to be held? 
in Canterbury, so it's held at our uni. This was meant to be a night that would have drinks, food, live performances, an after party, and on paper, it actually was a very spectacular event. On the day, the day started, we woke up, and within a few hours of waking up, we got a phone call from the campus saying that they have to lock off the party three hours or four hours before we had agreed. Oh, so what time are you going to have to shut down? We were meant to have an after party at till 3 a.m. Yeah, and then we basically had to finish the party at 11. Oh, not much for an yeah, after yeah, party. Yeah, no, like, not even, not even much of the event. Like, so it's just yeah, an after. Yeah, they just after. <laughs> um, that's been the first problem. But we've sold tickets. Um, we've sold tickets for twenty five pounds, which is a lot of money which for is a student. A lot yeah. For student. yeah, but we can't put out a tweet telling people, "Oh, the event's going to finish at 11. So we literally went the day not telling anyone. <laughs> we've got to the hall, and some of our team members who were meant to have had the hall like ready didn't have it ready and some of the decorations for that the event were still in london oh wow and i think the event started at seven o'clock or six o'clock and people were at the door and we were still setting up one of our friends was doing like the food delivery and stuff but all the caterers were in london so he had drove from london with the food to kent but when he came he only had half of the food because if he had waited longer in london to get the other food then he would have missed like the complete start all this time like there are people that are waiting in line and stuff so we've set up now it's what time of, is it is it past the entry yeah, time yeah it's, it's way past the entry time probably like an hour in the performers aren't there yet and stuff but we're, we're just gonna start the event so the host is talking the host is like inviting everyone in then i think we said because the performers aren't here yet we should get people to eat but then our host basically said, hey guys, um, serve yourself. The food is there. So then basically everyone got up and then the first two tables basically finished most of the food. Again, like you can actually type this on Twitter, A-F-F-P-A-R-T-Y. Like people started like taking pictures of their empty plates. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> We're on Twitter and stuff like saying it's like- It's not a good brand. Yeah, like literally saying, how could this like be a- a party, a twenty-five pound for a ticket. I want a refund, kind of thing. Turned from the AF party to the NAF party. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> not, like there was nothing on that plate, and that like, we had no drinks and nothing because again, half of that was in London. And then yeah, it's got to like ten o'clock. It start like at ten o'clock. It started to do all right. Like it started to have a little vibe. But then we remember, remember we said like, oh, the, the event time. is going to end up at eleven, but we haven't we haven't announced it. <laughs> So everyone's just getting warmed up. Yeah, yeah. everyone's okay, just getting warmed about up. The food yeah. thing. We're vibing now. Living the music's vibe. good. 3am. And then obviously 11 o'clock's clock come and then the campus team have come and they've basically shut it down. But then at the same time they've come, the people who were meant to perform have now arrived. So then we're literally battling with campus watch. That's what they were called. Saying, oh, okay, just give us a little bit more time. Then the performers are like saying to us, oh yeah, we still came, so you got to pay us and stuff. But yeah. mind you, we already know we've lost money. People are asking for refunds on the spot. They got to a point where like, 
my business partner was wearing our branding on the top, then he had to go like put on a jumper so people couldn't recognize <laughs> who, who was the like. Blended. We defo heard someone Start asking for refunds. You defo someone heard someone say, "Where's that guy wearing the blah blah blah?" <laughs> like, and yeah, it literally was a shambles. We lost. How much did we lose? I'm sure we lost around eight grand as students. Wow. Because even like with making dumb mistakes, like just spending money on things we shouldn't have spent money on. And you could look um, now with everything you've done, we can look back and laugh. Yeah, and yeah, it's funny. yeah. 100%. But at the time, man, no, that must not have hurt. My, my um, Jide's girlfriend, my sister, Loz, um, she reminded me, I even, again, like I said, when traumatic things happen, I think I just black, uh, like forget about it. But she reminded me that on that day, she came into a room and I was just sitting in the dark. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, like, like I, I for- completely forgot about wow. about that what were part. What you doing? And just I think I was just taking it in. Right. Like, this like, is at the event. At the event, okay. she said that she came upstairs, and I was in a random room, just sitting in the dark. The fire festival, like watching that, it was like very like PTSD ish. Like definitely. So, what would you say to to the young people that are considering launching their first series events? <laughs> Um, don't spend money. I think work with what you have. Mm. Don't try to do too much. Just try and give as much value as you can to the customers. Don't promise too much. Mm. Like don't over promise. Like just promise enough and deliver a good event. Mm. Mm-hmm. What I think is fascinating is what happens next. So are you an agency or brand that would like to work with our production company, Unity and Motion? If so, contact us at unityinmotion.com. We produce commercials and social content for brands such as Chanel, Amazon, Reebok, Harrods, The Ritz, and many more. Now back to the show. You think, okay, that was not so successful. Painful. You sat in a dark room. Let's probably (laughs) just take some time, think about it do something else and you know we'll get back together and whatever that that party happened on the 7th of jan right 20 did it so, yeah wait 7th of jan yeah jet 7th of jan yeah yeah 7th of yeah, jan yeah, 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 this yeah, is 2015 yeah 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 on the 9th of jan you guys get together and you go let's do our next project and what is that next project what well bam look at that so yeah i think we've talk about dust yourself off try yeah. again now you know it's we quick. had i think we had the idea it might have not been january the 7th i know i said that date so it might be wrong still yeah but it was it was january january 9th was definitely the day we had the idea for go up and i remember we knew the event was going to be a shambles and we was on the phone and we we're just bigging each other up for actually just bringing this idea to life and then in that conversation what came about and i remember us that actually gave us some relief for the event going to shambles because we knew it was going to go into shambles but we wanted to get the event out of the way so we can start working on what. I see. You so, had a plan B yeah, or a yeah. plan G. Yeah, yes, yes. So <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, literally it was Guap. Idea for Guap, AF party, then straight into Guap. But mm. the idea was definitely January the 9th. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what was what was the conversation? What was the idea for Guap? Yeah, so the initial idea for Guap was <laughs> an interactive... No, that's not true. The initial idea for Guap was actually selling something 
and paying people to sell that thing for you. So like it was an affiliate affiliate marketing mm. thing where, yeah, like we would allow young people to make money by selling something. And if they get people to sign up, we would pay them. That was like the, the original, original idea. But then the thing we said we wanted to sell was this interactive newsletter which would inspire young people to yeah basically make things happen and like have tangible role models to look up to for young students that that was the initial okay and there's two two definitions of what guap why guap right yeah so obviously guap so we called it guap because we literally thought that idea that initial idea that i just said we thought it was going to be like millionaires overnight before like Wow, we cracked, we cracked life. So yeah, <laughs> you didn't tell anyone, you kept the yeah, secret, right? Yeah, like we kept it a secret. Like we thought, we thought the minute we tell everyone this big idea, everyone's like, gonna do like, it. Everyone's doing it, and we're 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 clear. So we called it guap initially because yeah, we just thought it was gonna make their money, and guap is a colloquial term for money. And then the second was like we wanted to actually have a meaning to guap, so we called it great understanding and power mm. because we wanted it to. We wanted the content that we was going to make on the interactive newsletter to inspire and entertain young people. So we used to use this like cheesy word called inspertain. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't tell anybody yeah, was going to yeah, use yeah, that no, now. We used to, we used to use this word called inspertain. I used to say, yeah, to inspertain young people. <laughs> really flows well. It must be from the MC days. Yeah, flowing literally. Lines. Um, but yeah, that was the initial idea. So... Okay, you're going to start this company. What do you, you do next? You want to start a magazine, but you want to do it differently. Mm. How are you going to do it? Yeah, so... And how is Wikipedia involved in your story? Like I said, we're going to make interactive newsletter. And what that was going to be, it was going to be a PDF that would have articles sent out to young people. Um, but none of us liked to write. So I, I don't like writing, and neither does my business partner. But I had a camera from music because I used to shoot my own music videos and stuff. So I knew how to shoot and edit. So we went on Wikipedia and we just, def- I don't know why, we just tried to look up what a magazine is. And it said it's a collection of items. So then we were just like, if we do video articles, it would still be called a magazine, but it just wouldn't be like a traditional magazine. It'd be a, video magazine but we can call it a video magazine because it's a collection of video articles that was our thinking so it was just like yeah we're just gonna go around and shoot interviews of people rather than writing the interviews and because we had like people like jamal edwards and sbtv like that model of like go around and shooting Mm. people i knew that you could do that Mm. so that's how the video magazines part came about and then we worked on that for months and then I went to an event and like at that event, I spoke to everyone that was on the panel, asking them to be a part of the magazine. And then there was an individual, he was actually an accountant as well. He said, have you heard about augmented reality? And this was like, what, 2015? And it obviously wasn't something that was like well known. And I was like, no. Then he said, oh yeah, you should look into it. Then looked into it and saw, yeah, like saw magazines with 
AR features where they would have like adverts that would come to life. So like it would be like a BMW advert and like you could scan over the mm-hmm. advert and a BMW car show. I was like, rah, this is sick. But then we realized no magazine had used it for the content part. It was literally just those advert parts. Mm-hmm. So we was like, we're already creating the videos. If we utilize the AR features, we'll be able to have a physical video magazine with articles that are video articles. That was, again, that was just our thinking. So then we tried it. We found some free augmented reality app called Layer. Tried it and it like it proper worked. And he was like, oh yeah. We tried to search, see if anyone's done it like that. And at first we used to say, oh, we're the UK's first video magazine because no one had done it that way. But then we realized like no one's actually done that in the world. Like actually have like, an interactive video magazine throughout so then yeah we started calling ourselves the world's world's first video magazine and that was like our, our tagline a usp for a long time mm. yeah. i think there's a great lesson in there for anybody who wants to start a business at any age in that i think it can seem like oh you know if you're a business owner or founder you you've got some special ability and knowledge and intelligence from somewhere no yeah a lot of it is go online and search it yeah, yeah yeah i remember you know ash and i started our production company 2015 unity emotion you know someone would say can you send us a proposal we'd never worked in the agency yeah, yeah, yeah. google what's a proposal, uh, what's a proposal? Yeah, how yeah. to write a proposal and this soft like software came up i can't remember what it was called like, okay cool let's put the information yeah, here oh gosh yeah proposal file something Propos- like that proposal file yeah, yeah. <laughs> you write a proposal wow. yeah, and there's yeah. so many stories of that like send us an invoice How okay you, invoice yeah, software yeah, invoice number, and then you yeah. got to put a number on it how do you choose an invoice number i remember sitting there like you're just making you're stuff just like, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. just choose and we still use roughly the same format <laughs> today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's all these things that come up and it's not genius intelligence from this it's curiosity source. it's curiosity and mm. being willing to go i don't know but you know we don't have to go to the library it's all there the yeah, fingertips now let's 100%, just go 100 percent. i think curiosity is one of the key ingredients to success i think if you forever stay curious and you're always learning you will never fall behind mm. Mm. so you start and go up now mm. you've got this idea of, of weaving in the ar like was there any other benchmarks you were looking at? Like, okay, we want to we want to be kind of like this or kind of like that. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. you had your own spin, but who who were the kind of what who were the things or what were the things you were looking at to benchmark against? Our benchmark was Vice, so we felt like you say like being a black person mm-hmm. from like London, a lot of us grew up on like the SBTVs and the Grand Dailies and like the Link Up TVs. But we felt like we didn't want to come and do another music platform. Mm. We felt like we've already got too many, not too many, but we've already got our music platforms. But we realized there wasn't no equivalent of like a magazine Mm -hmm. from our culture. So there's like the IDs, the Vogue's, the Viases, all those kind of media companies. But there wasn't an equivalent of that. So instead of looking up to like the grand days and SBs, I think we looked up to them in regards to like them being like young black people who started something. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like how we modeled our business, 
it was looking at like the vices mm. and like the vogues and stuff um, for inspiration. So like, I probably watched every single interview on vices, um, owners' way of how he done things mm. because I wanted to know how they turned like a, a magazine into like money because mm-hmm. yeah there wasn't a template for us to follow mm-hmm. from our culture like a music platform is different to like making a magazine into money so yeah i just another great that. lesson there is to like just search out there who's doing what you want to do or similar yeah yeah and, and absorbing as much information Definitely. as possible i literally watched every single interview on YouTube of that guy, Shane, Shane Smith. But in terms okay. of like their business model, I've, I've downloaded Vice's media kit. Like I have like from 2016 to 2020, like nice. even just like knowing how they aggregated their data mm. and put it forth to other people and stuff like, yeah, that they definitely inspired what I do. What, what happens next on the journey? You start doing parties again? Yeah, so um, you take some healing from the first one. Yeah, yeah. Take some lessons. We're ready to do it again. Grey Matters new business tip for today: Use omni-channel marketing to ensure you engage with prospects at a minimum of five touch points. Be economical by repurposing content across your website, social channels, events, and prospecting emails. This can be in the form of blogs, podcasts, and videos. Grey Matters is a straight-talking business development consultancy that empowers agencies to position, market, and sell themselves for new business success. Yeah, the magazine launches and it's doing well. People are like hearing about it and stuff. But And how are you feeling? You're like, oh, we're onto something now or you're not nah, sure? No, we weren't really sure. Like we were just put in contact. We, we could see, because we was like one of the first people from our areas um, and from our culture that like got into business. We could see like loads of our peers and stuff were like being engaged into the journey. Like, oh yeah, what are these guys doing? Because everyone else went to like work and stuff, but we started business. And because it seemed like it was doing well, we weren't making money, but perception wise, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was doing well. People were, like tuning in. Um, but then we've we wanted to see that in real life. And to be honest, that wasn't even the main reason. The main reason we started doing like events is because we wanted to take the message that we was doing online. To real life and into like the live music experience so we said we wanted to build what based off talent and be the platform that does taste making and show you who's going to be next so we wanted to do that in music wanted to do that in fashion wanted to do that in arts but we started with music and we started with a thing called guap party and that was like our way of spotlighting seven to ten artists who we think are going to do big things um, even just yesterday, I downloaded all the flyers and I think I'm going to do a TikTok that says where they are now. Um, nice. But it literally was like, yeah, just our way of like saying cult to the culture, this is who we're backing to be like big stars. And who were they? Sam Wise, we've had Nuts, we've had Lancey Foe, Nadia Rose, Shay Lingo. And these are, these are people, This is at this point in their career, what stage are they at? Yeah, like very early kind of thing. So it was meant to be a platform and meant to, yeah, like I said, tell people these are the people you should be looking out for. There was even a, there was a girl called Ash Nico, um, who's like a huge global star right now. And she performed at Guapai. And she, I think she was even like one of the first two acts and stuff. But now she's like a megastar. Mm. So 
it literally was my way of A&Ring and saying, mm. yeah, these are who we're pushing. And you said Darko performed to her first audience yeah, at Dar- a Guap event. Fam, at Darko, people at Darko, it wasn't even a Guap party. That was like a blacklist launch. She performed at our event. She didn't even have a USB. Like it, was the, <laughs> like it was the first time she'd done a live performance. You get me? Then weeks later, she blew up. So I think I've always wanted to be able to do that taste-making thing. And yeah, Guap Party was our way of doing that. And yeah, we put on that event. And yeah, like seeing the audience come out, that was the first time we had seen our audience in real life. We sold out that event, but it, like, it was like a roadblock event. Like there's a picture of that night where the whole venue outside is just like, took up like the whole road. And yeah, that was the first time we actually realized, wow, we actually have something in real life. And like, that was like a big moment for us. How must it have felt, you know, from putting on an event that um, could be described as a disaster? Yeah. And then to put on an event that is an absolute success? Um, if I'm honest, we don't even look back. So I didn't even compare it. Okay. It was just like, this is a sick event for now. Yeah. But I think it's a, great, it's a great lesson in that, you know, if something doesn't go right, um, it's not really a disaster at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a lot of valuable lessons. I it's al- a gift. I always say it's only an L if you don't learn from it. Mm. Like, everything is a lesson, even when negative, well, what you perceive as negative things might happen. If you take away a lesson from it, it's not really negative because you've learned something. Yeah. So then at what point does the um, the agency come into kind of fell into it kind of didn't i think we used to go to like loads of youth culture events and we would see like the same people being put on the lineups and these were like people who were like quite big but then we started getting behind the scenes and like having meetings with some of these agencies and loads of times would go there and it would be people that weren't from like people who weren't young one and people who weren't from like the cultures that the events were trying to reach, we just said, why is it like this? And then we just realized it's like probably a lot of people from our culture don't even know about this space or like being in advertising or having agencies. I don't think that was a thing that a lot of people aspire to do, but we realized that that's where a lot of money is. And, um, that kind of dictates how people view culture. So we kind of said, we need to get into that space so that we're able to make sure that the people telling the stories in campaigns and the people um, working on these campaigns are the same people um, that the campaign's trying to reach and the people are benefiting from it. Um, And yeah, so we just made that our mission and our USP to make sure that whenever we do work with a brand or whenever we do work with a um on a campaign from in front of the camera and behind the camera it's going to be people who relate inherently to what we're trying to achieve in that campaign um and not just doing it on a tip box thing it's just something that's inherited in our dna because i think now nowadays loads of people are like trying to take that model but we do that model with our magazine as well. So it's just something we inherited and that we've, we've tried to bring into like the advertising mm. 
and brand work. Well, I guess this is something that's been at the core of you since your, your days in Peckham. Yeah, you know, that sense mm -hmm. of community and people around and working with people around you. 100%. Still to this day. But yeah, we just wanted to change it, man. Just because that's what made sense to us. It's just like, why, why are we doing a campaign for young black people, but there's no black people working on it behind the camera? Mm -hmm. Why are we trying to reach Asian communities when age like there's no Asians behind like some of these agencies, let's say they're trying to look for talent, they're they're gonna search for someone with the mass massive numbers, and because that person has massive numbers, you think that person has impact in the culture, where we would come in and because we actually work with people with the magazine, we can tell the nuances between someone just having mad following mm. and someone that really has an impact in the culture. So you might do something with someone who's smaller, but doing something with that person, you're go you're actually gonna be spoken about more than if mm -hmm. you do it with a big person. But a lot of agencies won't know those nuances because they're not from or close to the source. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we try to, try to like basically fight. Like, now nah, we know our stuff, we know the people, we're close to the source. These people are the people that deserve these opportunities. Let's mm -hmm. try and bridge that gap. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, you get an email one day, yeah, and it's from a PR agency, and they say our client is Nike. Yeah, no, they didn't even tell us that it was Nike. They, oh. just, said, they just said to us, "Oh yeah, you want to come in for a chat?" Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you go in and have a chat. Yeah, and, yeah. And then what happens? Go in for a chat, and then yeah, they say they work with Nike, and they would like to work with us on a small campaign. What yeah, do you think? Yeah, we was like, oh yeah, we was very excited because that was the first time we've worked with like a major brand. And I think every young person, if you ask them, oh yeah, what company do you want to work with? I'm sure Nike <laughs> will come up in their in their answer. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was just a thing of like, oh yeah, sick. Like they even know they're watch watching us. But we didn't know the whole model of like PR agency, brand, all that stuff. So we were just excited. And then yeah, like the we'd done the campaign and it done really well. And I think from that, it kind of built the relationship with them. And yeah, we just done stuff with them over the years. How, how did you transition from working with the agency to working with Nike Direct? Again, we didn't really direct that. Like we'd done stuff with them. We'd done two things with them. We'd done that piece. Then we'd done something called London on Air, which was like an event where like a young person could win the chance to like create a shoe. Mm -hmm. But then they held like exhibitions and talks and they had four media partners and each media partner would take over a day of the space on the signups we have we have this we had the smallest following out of the the media partners but then we got the most signups so i think they mm -hmm. realized oh yeah these guys have an engagement with the creative community. Mm. Uh, so they start to realize it's not all about yeah, the yeah, social numbers. Yeah, it's not all about the social numbers. Yeah, so they, they realize that. Um, and then off the back of that, like Nike started reaching out to us separately. But then we would still do work with them with the PR agency. Mm -hmm. So it kind of was working hand in hand. So right. yeah, we didn't really direct that conversation. It kind of just happened. Mm. Yeah. And so did that lead to more work? You've worked with Nike now, biggest one of the biggest brands mm. in the world. Did that help like reputation and credibility? Yeah, 100%. Like, I think every partner that we worked with helps build reputation and credibility. We have a very extensive 
client list that we've worked with. And I think every single partner that we've worked with at that stage helped um, build up our relevance and brand and actually show people that we can do it at this level. Because if, if, if Nike is ready to work with us, what makes you think we won't be able to do it with another brand? You know what I'm saying? So it definitely helped. Yeah, with our reputation in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up until 2020, 2019, is it just you two? Yes. So it's it's up until 2020, it was me and Jade with our team of volunteers. So we had volunteers who would like write articles and stuff for us. Um, but in terms of like the day-to-day, it was me and Jade. Um, and then in 2020, we decided to hire a team because there was only so much we could get out of the volunteers. And I think if we we're trying to like build like a proper business, yeah, you kind of need to start paying people. So we spent the whole of 2019, we had a little bit of money in the bank, but we paid each other 200 pound a month for that whole year so that we could save enough to be able to hire a team. Wow. Um, so it's, do you think because you'd been through that phase of taking your mum's two pounds, yeah, yeah, not spending it, not eating, just so you could buy stuff to sell, right? Yeah, yeah. Same lessons there were kind of coming back. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like because me and Jide had to sacrifice so much. Yeah. When we started making a little bit of money, it didn't really change anything because we were so used to like not having money. So even now we have money there's a lot more money than we had before but it doesn't really change and like it hasn't really changed much kind of thing it just provided comfort um so yeah when we made that sacrifice it wasn't really that big because 200 power a month was more than was making before so that that, that was a bonus like mm. I, I was working at my dad's shop for 20 pound a week just to get by out of mm. it. So it's just like, yeah, 200 pound a month is more than anything. It's mm-hmm. more than nothing. So yeah, we made that sacrifice and yeah, decided to hire a team in 2020, weeks before Corona. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when that starts, so you hire a team mm-hmm. and then March, 2020, yeah, that's whole when we country. Hired. Yeah. You, you hired in March, yeah, 2020. Yeah. And you get told the whole country's getting yeah, shut yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going through your mind then? Well, you know, my honest answer to that, my thought was that, right, is this actually real? And then I actually, like, the thoughts that we both had was like, if we can get through this time, there's nothing we won't be able to ever get through. Mm. My mindset was like, as long as we can get through this, we're good. So it was just a thing of, finding new ways to work. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was gonna ask yeah. you. Like, how did you adapt? So you got a new team, yeah. we're all in a situation where we're at home. Like, how did you adapt and kind of stay stay active? Yeah, well, we're a media platform, so we should be able to create content fast. I had a sit down with my business partner, came up with a strategy of new types of content we can make, mm-hmm. and then we just done it. Literally just shared the strategy with the team. And yeah, they like we would we would not have been able to survive COVID without that the team that we had. Like 
us hiring them at that time was yeah god sent like if mm. we didn't have that there'd, there'd probably be no guap by now mm. so interesting what seems like oh man you know this is the worst time to hire because everything yeah getting shut down is actually the best the best yeah 100 percent. walk walk us through the rest of the events of the year 2020 and how that impacted do you, you remember 2020 i know in 2020 we opened up the guap fund which was like a fund where we was given a hundred pound a week to a different creative in our audience. We done that because we we looked at our account and was like, we'll probably be all right, but there's probably creatives in our community that won't. So we said the least we can do is like try to help them because our thing is always a two way value exchange. We never want to just be taken from our audience, and we we are one of those platforms who really do back our audience so it was like yeah this is the least we can do for them that 100 pound a week isn't going to kill us um so we've done that and i think that generosity attracted brands like to us as well and like certain brands wanted to like invest in the fund and like give money out and stuff and yeah 2020 was actually one of our best years for like new partnerships and people being aware of guap and yeah people wanting to talk to us um because i think why do you think that was? It was like a, a shift in mentality. I feel like everything we had done prior 2020 was like the foundation. And I feel like from 2020 to 21 was like the crowning. I feel like <laughs> people started realizing why what we was doing was so important from like a commercial point of view. So now like so many brands and companies want to be reaching young emerging diverse creatives well that's the audience we've been building for years and there's not many platforms that were doing that when there wasn't like no money so i think because we had that reputation of doing that when it became the time where people want to reach that audience a lot of brands are now speaking to us because they want to tap into that so you hit 2021 Another great year you've yeah. got for the business. Yeah, yeah. You hit your first million. Yeah, yeah. And Kurt Geiger. Yeah. Kurt Geiger, big fashion brand, uh, British footwear and accessories retailer. They're in Harrods, they're in Selfridges, 1,700 employees, revenues in the hundreds of millions. And they do a, a pilot test project, uh, not test mm -hmm. project, but a, a trial project with mm -hmm. you, right? Yeah, yeah. How yeah. does that go down? Yeah. yeah. Um, they reached out to us again through email. You get some random emails. Like when, this was one that I thought was so random. It actually went through to my fashion editor. And my fashion editor sent it over to us. Um, what yeah. did the email say? Yeah, the email said we've got an exciting project that I want to like talk to you about. And then we had a call, and they basically asked us for to like come up with like a strategy or vision for how we can basically bring Kurt Geiger back to London because they said the brand is a London brand. Their first shop was in London, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it is a London-born brand, but they wanted to basically want the, the brand to reflect what London looks like now. So the three words were London, creativity, and kindness. So we had to basically make a strategy of how we bring that to life. And what would they say was their their branding like before this 
I know they just they said they used to like use loads of like expensive models and like just throw like it wasn't from an authenticity point of view, it was more from a yeah, like this person would do well for the brand kind of thing, but they really wanted to like align back to like youth culture and like where the brand is heading now. So yeah, we came up with the strategy and presented it. But when we presented it, we didn't know that we was pitching. We thought like we had the project already. I see. Yeah. So then after we got the phone, they said, "Oh yeah, um, we're speaking with some other agency, so we'll let you know." And then yeah, they asked for me and again told us we we wanted and they wanted us to do their autumn winter campaign. So then we pitched an idea for the autumn winter. No, you know what? It wasn't even meant to be an autumn winter campaign. It was meant to be a product shoot. Pitch the product. Um, pitch the product shoot. They liked the idea for the product shoot, so they said, "You know what? We should make this the autumn winter campaign." So it turned mm-hmm. to something bigger of the idea. Shot the autumn winter my campaign, pitch is really good, video is really good, done really well, and then they yeah they said they would like to continue the relationship. So then they make you their main agency, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that does that feel like a milestone? And what's the significance of that? Who um, don't understand? Yeah, it was definitely a milestone. I'll be lying if I say it was definitely a milestone. We're the first, we're the youngest and the first black-owned creative agency to do so. So, like, it was like... To do to do what? Like, to become their creative agency. So, mm-hmm. they had the first, they had a, the same creative agency for, like, 25 years, I think. Wow. Or something, yeah. So that like, is quite a milestone. Yeah, so, like... And there was, like, bare first that came with that. So, like, working with us... They worked with the youngest team they've ever worked with, the most diverse team they've ever worked with. Like so, it was a moment for not just us, but a moment for culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we really felt the difference when that came out, and like people perceived us in like a whole different way when the Kurt Geiger stuff and that announcement came out. So like it was a it was a very big shift. Mm, you in, stepped up to a yeah, whole other level. It was, it was definitely. And it sounds like you're, you know, realizing your vision in bigger and bigger ways. Yeah. And you said that on, was it the, uh, one of the campaigns, most, every single person on that set said it was the biggest thing they'd ever worked, worked on. Well, yeah, 100%. And one model, it was the it first. It was the first ever shoot. Ever shoot. And, then and then what's ended. the scale of this project? As in like, there's billboards around the world and stuff. Like, mm. And it was his first ever shoot. And the man's thing, he got asked to do it on the day. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Because one of the models got COVID. Mm. So first ever shoot, and then he ended up in like billboards around the world. So you're really, you know, you're setting up people's careers and lives through giving them a chance to work on their biggest project. Mm-hmm. And that being like, almost like a full part of your business model, yeah, your 100%. process. And what, what impact do you think that makes for, for people? I don't really even think about what the impact is. It's just like, for me, this is just what we have to do. I feel like there's not many of us getting it into these type of positions. And I feel like the people who are talented, are most talented, deserve the opportunities. But sometimes they might not have someone in the room to say this is the person that deserves the opportunity. Mm. So that's all we're doing. We're just making sure now that we are in these rooms and we are breaking down some of these barriers we are the one to say if you've been working hard and we've seen your graft when these type of opportunities come you can also get this type of opportunity 
and then you can then be an inspiration to other people because other people look up to you and be like oh yeah he's actually a successful photographer working with this brand he's actually a successful video person working with this brand she's actually a successful stylist working with this brand i feel like we need more tangible real life people doing that and i think we're just in that position where we're able to like help people get in that position and yeah i think the impact would be that just the yeah people knowing they can actually make this stuff happen living and breathing the change that we yeah. want to see in the world 100 you tweeted that this year at guap we are launching the biggest thing we have done to date <laughs> something that will shift culture can yeah. you tell us what that is when's this coming up um past end of may oh yeah no it'll be out <laughs> get it exclusive um we're launching the Guap Gala, which is What's the Guap Gala? our annual and first annual creative award show slash gala. It's that's celebrating creative excellence. So it's meant to be an award show that's um, highlighting all those individuals that probably wouldn't be recognized at a traditional award show. So it's bringing together what you'd get from a music award show, fashion award show, film award show arts award show all into one room so mm. yeah it's gonna be, it's like what you would get when you put the met gala with the mobos that's like mm. what the okay. vision is so there's it's gonna be very grand again haven't put this out there yet but it's taking place at a natural history museum and it's yeah. gonna be like a very it's meant to it's going to be like the leading creative award show not just music, not just fashion, but like all encompassing. When's so it going to happen? September. Okay. Why is this needed? Why? Yeah. Because most of the award shows from like youth culture are just predominantly music. So only like musicians and stuff get awarded. But then like there's photographers, there's stylists, there's directors, all these kind of people who probably, even like industry professionals, who will probably never get nominated at an award show or might not get invited to an award show, but deserve mm. to be at an award show because they also make part of the creative community and the culture. So it's just about us making sure those people don't get unrecognized. Mm. Like we're actually given a platform and giving them the same light that we would give the people who are always at the front. And that's not us saying we're not going to nominate those people as well, but it's just putting everyone in the same level and mm -hmm. same like got you and where where did this idea first start in your mind 2016 2016 mm. what was what were you thinking then same thing it's like we we've always wanted to do an award show okay but we just feel like now's the right time so it's it's like i could show notebooks like it's it's been an idea for years but this is just uh we feel like we have the right momentum the right brand relevance to actually make it happen and stuff yeah excellent i'm looking forward to it yeah, yeah. no you'll get invited hey. yeah you'll get invited <laughs> yes it's gonna be lit that'll be special and in 2022 you were one of four people selected by instagram yeah for their campaign to champion black british creators and influencers yeah how did that come about email again definitely email <laughs> um but i've worked with instagram before and then, yeah, they just emailed me about this. Um, we had a few meetings. It sounded like a good 
thing that they were trying to do. And they said, I have the creative freedom to choose what initiative I bring to life. As long as it supports my community. So I was like, yeah, it was like a no-brainer, really. And is this the first campaign that you've been a part of as a talent? As a, pardon? As yeah. talent. Yeah, yeah, definitely the first. I've been in front of the camera properly. And yeah, it's been cool. It pays well. I mean for for everything you've been through and those times you just had to persevere and, tr- yeah, yeah. and trust the process and learn trust what you learned from your parents about persevering just keeping pushing sounds like you know the corner's been turned and you get to enjoy the the rewards of that well-earned mm-hmm. well-deserved hard work yeah yeah 100 but we're still working. Mm-hmm. We're definitely still working. The story's mm-hmm. not over. Yeah, it's, it's we'll far, come back for part two of this. Yeah, the life, life story. It's, it's far from over. Far Ash, from what over. what did you learn, and what's the lessons from Ibs's story from your perspective? Rising to situations was the first one I got. You know, and just taking it, dealing with it. Like obviously, you know, it 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 could be difficult dealing with dealing with what you dealt with, but you kept it moving. Mm-hmm. You made the right, sensible decisions for yeah. yourself and for your family. And moving on from there, persevering and following what you really wanted to do. That's the key, I see. And this has come up through a, a few of our, or in all of our interviews really that we've had so far. It's that continuing to persevere in what you really believe in mm-hmm. and what you believe you should be doing in this world. And that takes you to places and it continues to take you to places, places that, places that there wasn't necessarily a path for before. Like you said, working with Kurt Geiger and changing, changing the narrative of who they work with Mm -hmm. and how the work's created. And that all comes from that, that passion and that inspiration, that desire you've had to bring forth what you wanted to bring forth. Very good summary. (laughs) <laughs> you're a very good speaker <laughs> very good speaker Ash is also available for voiceovers <laughs> brilliant voice no wavy um, um, no, honestly, go I ahead I was going to say something yeah also I think one important point from your story which is, may seem ig- insignificant but I think it's so important something super helpful for us is how you said you went to that event and you spoke to everybody on the panel and you would just talk to people talk to people mm-hmm. about what you're doing and um, and get them involved. And I think that mentality is critical at the start of a business or start, even if you haven't got a website, social media, anything, that going out and talking at events to people about it will speed your progress up yeah. so fast because you build networks, you get to practice pitching it, you get to see what people like and don't like. 100%. And I think that's a core part and something at the early days of Unity Emotion, we would go to panels and not even be on it, but sit there and listen, like see a client that we want that's on a panel. I'll go, okay, we'd like them as a client. Go to the panel just to sit there, make notes about what they're saying, what they're interested in and craft a conversation and then get up there straight after, chat to them, build some relationship, and then we're a production yeah, yeah. company. Can you introduce us to someone who deals with that? And like, you can get loads of work. Yeah, hundred percent. It's hard. It's not easy, but you can. The best method of marketing is word of mouth, and there's no better word of mouth than your own. Hmm. Mm. Love that. So mm. when me and my business partner started, we literally was out there being our own word of mouth, starting 
that word of mouth and then the rest followed mm-hmm. again that's it yeah and that level of you know focus to be out there a lot you know you can go to easily you can go to 10 events a week 100 with no money 100 in fact you probably have to eat and drink there too yeah 100 <laughs> and you can just make it work make it work if, i always say do you want it or do you really want it because if you really want it you make it happen mm. like mm. i don't really like excuses there's in the world we live in on this side of the planet with the resources we have with like internet and stuff there isn't no excuse mm. to not do if you're not doing this because of you that's my personal opinion love that you know so to to close things with a bit of in, more inspiration you know you said once that uh if you're scared of something you should be more scared that you get to 50 <laughs> and thinking i didn't do what i desired yeah explain that for us and, and share some wisdom around that yeah i feel like in this life i feel, I feel i definitely feel like the worst feeling you can have is regret and i feel i genuinely feel regret eats you up more than anything and i think yeah like i i, I genuinely feel like it's harder to do stuff you don't want to do so chasing your dreams shouldn't be hard or it shouldn't be scary like like, like i said the you regretting your life should be more scary to you because that will eat you up so i'm always an advocate for you just going out and doing it because yeah even if you fail at least you know you've done it from yourself and done it for yourself like so yeah that's my thoughts on that mm-hmm. great yeah okay any any closing words inspiration for people listening from your story um just work <laughs> I, I like i think i'm a very i'm a big advocate for working man like i feel like everything has a cause and reaction and i feel if you want to be successful the cause of success is working so as long as you work you work hard work religiously the result of that will be success if you don't work you won't be successful in what you're doing yeah makes sense yeah yeah it's been a pleasure lots of wisdom shared yes. and what what a journey and wow it is just getting started a hundred cannot wait to see um what's next yeah thanks for having me guys that was a really good talk pleasure yeah thanks. sick